0: Welcome to Empowered Conversations. I'm your host, Susie Petrozzi. This podcast will take you on a journey of personal growth and self-discovery through conversations with special guests that will inspire you to live the life of your dreams. Get ready now for an Empowered Conversation. Well, hello everyone. Uh, welcome. Welcome to another Empowered Conversation. Uh, you are with Susie Petrozzi and i um, very, very keen to introduce you to our next guest, Victoria Giacono-Gilmovich. Um, let me share a little bit about um, this incredible woman. So she's a violinist. She started uh, playing the violin at the very raw age uh, of six. So she's been immersed in music for all of her life practically, even before that, because um, you'll hear the story. So Victoria has enjoyed working with many orchestras. Um, She's played all over the world. She's played from um, Japan, China, Hungary, Austria, you name it. She's well-recognised and um, currently she's the Master Conductor at Sydney Youth Orchestra. She teaches at a number of schools around Sydney um, and also is a conductor for Sydney Youth Orchestra. Uh, She has um, a... done a lot of freelance with Sydney Symphony Orchestra, the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Sydney Philharmonia Orchestra, so many different places. Um, She's worked alongside many performances and recordings for musical, various pop artists and film productions. And you know what's really exciting? Like, you know, we've got a genius in our own backyard of um, Five Dog Keys. So that's where Victoria is based. Alongside all of this, um, she's also mum, very passionate mum to two beautiful kids, Estelle Hugo, who are, yes, no surprise, immersed in music themselves. Um, and she's also director of Inner West Institute of Music, where, um, you know, they they teach and spread the love of music to kids and adults. And one thing I have to share with you before we begin this amazing, empowered conversation is um, that I also... I'm learning from Victoria. So Victoria is teaching me the violin and it has been an incredible journey. Um, slow at times, but I'm very persistent and music is doing something to me both um, to my own brain, um, but also something, uh, something's happening at the core of me, you know, something's being tapped into and music is powerful in that way. So um, one more thing you should know about Victoria is that Victoria never stops learning. She, in fact, is training for a marathon as we speak and has been for some time because she wants to challenge herself and she wants to grow. So, with that being said, Victoria, um, welcome to our Empowered Conversation. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So, I don't know if I've missed anything. Um, I know that, you know, you have done so much. For music, you have contributed, and you know, as I was reading some of these um, some of these roles that you've um, been a part of, some of the things that you've done, it's just really extraordinary.
1: Thank you. Um, it's funny to hear you say that I, I don't see it as extraordinary at all. I see it sort of as my my life's work, but um, it's just what I do from day to day. And, um, I, I kind of listen to it and went and I sort of think, yeah, yeah, I've done all that. I've done all that. Um, is it enough? It's <laughs> um, always isn't so, enough, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it's funny. Um, I, I hear and read, you know, that sort of list of things often. And sometimes I need to pinch myself. And mm. sometimes I also sort of think, well, you know, what's next? Yeah. Um, so it's it's funny when you list things out like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is.
0: It is. We'll come back to that. I have a feeling we'll come back to that. So <laughs> <laughs> But why don't we start? I really want to know how did your how did how did your journey with music begin?
1: Um, that's a great question. Uh so uh I was born in Australia, uh and my mother and father met here as um immigrants and my mother is a piano teacher. Um, She graduated in Russia as a piano teacher and a choir conductor. So uh, I guess music, the journey of music started before I was even um, born
0: Mm. and I
1: I very much think music is um, very often, not always, very often a generational thing. Mm. Um, So that journey started long before I was even thought of Um, Mm. but when I was born, my mum was concerned uh that I would wake up every time as a baby, as a newborn. She was concerned that I would wake up um, every time a student came in. Uh-huh. And we all know that sleep for babies is <laughs> so important. So the minute she brought me home from the hospital, she put a little radio in my basnet oh, and kept wow. the music going nonstop, hoping that I would... Not react when a piano would start playing when her students came, Mm. but it actually had the opposite effect. That I would actually start screaming or crying when the music stopped. Mm. So, yeah, I guess the journey started immediately. Then, Um, and then the story goes uh, that um, one of the first times I smiled was when she was playing um, some violin music. and then as as i grew i always had music sort of in the fore, in the fore, foreground in the background um well in your case oh, foreground yeah. and background yeah both, both. and sideways yeah. <laughs> yeah that's it um in the background and um i sort of uh went to school and believed that everyone had that gift in their life i thought it was my my norm It was everyone's norm and I realised very quickly that music wasn't a part of everyone's life and not every single child played the piano um, like the children that I was exposed to at my mum's um, studio. Mm. And I suddenly realised very early on that it was um, very unique to me. Um, I have to say that I keep telling people that, after that point i stuck with it because it was unique and i was probably not good at anything else so i was just lazy and just ran with what i was good at but you know the more i think about it i think it goes a bit deeper than that in that i was a very i still am i'm assuming um a very wanted and very loved child mm. and i was brought up with a very strong sense of um my own place in the world and my importance um, and my feeling confident with myself Mm. Um, down down to the point that even as a little child and I was a very, very chubby child, um, if someone would come up to me and tease me that I was overweight or fat, I would turn around and I would be so confident and self-assured with my position that I would turn around and say, well, that's because I eat better food than you. (sighs) Um, I always felt like I had an answer to, you know, yes, I know I'm different, but it's because I'm better or it's because I'm so comfortable with myself that, you know, it doesn't really bother me. Mm. And I think that when I went to school, that feeling of different, being different didn't make a difference to me. It was a plus. It wasn't something to hide from. Mm. And, um, you know, I think I stuck with it sort of not maybe consciously, but I stuck with it because I was good at it and I stuck with it because I was completely comfortable in being different.
0: Mm. Um, yeah. Can and, I? Can, sorry, yeah. I was just going to yeah. ask you something. You know, one of the things that you touched on that to me is important given my profession is you said that as a child growing up, you felt wanted and you felt loved. Now, not many People can say that growing up, even if their parents' intentions are the best. Mm. So I just want to, just for a moment, I want to know what was it, you know, that was being done or said in your family home growing up that gave you this sense? Um, was it because of music, or was it was it what was being said? What messages that you did you hear growing up?
1: Uh, I, I think I had this bottomless feeling of feeling loved, but. I was also told, um, and I didn't understand it at the time, my mum always said to me things like, I really, really wanted you. Um, You are a very wanted child. And she would always say that and I I, never—I used to look at her and probably think, well, of course you wanted me. You had me. I mean, Mm. you know, to a child it doesn't really mean anything, but I think when you go on that journey of having your own children Mm. and it doesn't always happen straight away, you suddenly realise what – it means to have to really want a child, and then for that child to be really wanted. Um, and so, it's I think I was told point. that. Yeah, I think I was told that, but I also definitely felt it. Um, my parents gave me, and still do, they're all. Yeah, and um, I, I, I felt it, and I was told that as well. Um, yeah. Not told that in a way that you know you know i've given you everything you know please you know behold i am mm-hmm. so great as a parent mm-hmm. but i think they told me things like you know i'm working really hard because i want you to have the best because i didn't have the same mm-hmm. you know it's it's a bit of an immigrant mentality but it's also um my upbringing was very um very much my parents told things as they were nothing was sugar coated mm-hmm. So um, I I felt loved and I was told that I was loved.
0: Mm. It's interesting, isn't it, how powerful that is. Like, Mm. you know, we often as parents, well, I'm going to speak collectively Mm. here. And as parents, we can have that sense, oh, but you know that I love you, but... There, there is something that becomes real when we actually speak those words, because wherever things are unspoken, I believe that kids will go on making up their own, um, filling filling that gap with what they can best match to, you know, what their kind of senses are. So that is huge, actually, you know, even as we're just speaking now, that that sense of saying to our children you were wanted. And and you know, I guess in cases where maybe kids weren't wanted. And what I mean by that is where, you know, maybe mums had kids, they felt pregnant, they didn't expect it, then um, now that you're here, I really want you or I really want this for you. Um so thank you for sharing that. That's um that's interesting because then that 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 really shaped your journey in terms of helping you embrace your difference, your uniqueness. And um, part of me feels like, you know, you talk about laziness. I don't know if it was laziness or was it a sense of recognising early on that, no, I just know that this is what I love doing.
1: Yeah, maybe it was that, or maybe it was just, um, like I said, I was happy for that to be my quirk. Mm. and I was happy for someone to say to me, oh, you have a funny accent, and I would turn around and say, but can you play the violin? And (laughs) I was happy to have that as a kind of something to bat, you know, any comments back at them.
0: Yeah, And,
1: you know, that lasted me through high school. You know, a teacher might say, oh, you're not so, you're not putting enough effort you know, in in history or something else. And I I would, you know, mentally straight away sort of have this reaction, but I play the violin. Mm. You know, and it was just this um confidence. And I guess as you grow older as a child, you have you grow those f- sort of filters that you get in society. And so you don't actually say that out loud. You don't say, Yes, I play the violin, but it was always in my head mm. um, as my I guess the buzzword now with kids is you say that that's your superpower. Mm. Um, that was always, I was always very sure about it mm. um, and I knew that I felt comfortable with that being my difference. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So um, and that very much became what I immersed myself with um, all my life. And it became uh, not just my quirk, but my language. Um, Mm. It became my identity. It became my way of um, finding friends. Mm -hmm. Um, It became my way of communication. It became my way of coping. And it just, I guess, when it all sort of comes together and compounds, it it becomes you.
0: Mm. Yeah. So it it was really your well, it was kind of your, you know, your almost your your guide along the way, if you will, because you embraced it so much. Um, but also, you were you were good at it. I mean, you know, you talk about how music runs through generations. I don't know how far far back in your family, and I wonder how much that has that plays. Not always, you know, but in some families, maybe in your case, where. It's almost part of your DNA that it's there, but it just needs to be activated and then it kind of, you know, it can flourish even more so, whereas I know for me it's not something that has been. Maybe I've had musically kind of inclined relatives, what have you, but I've never seen anyone play music, right? Mm. Um,
1: I think activation is a great word that you used, but I think at our very core...
0: Mm.
1: We're all musical. And I think I believe that because um, babies sing and produce pictures long before they can talk. Mm. Um, music has existed before many languages have existed. Um, and for me, I think activation is 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 the you know the key word, but um having it sort of as a generational thing, yes, it may um be generally generational in that um you have the influences and the help Mm. um but i i i'm one of those people that believes that it's it's in all of us it's just it's just a way of you know how you get it out yeah um and in fact i would say that beyond my mother um i don't think that there was anyone in the next generation before her um that was you know obviously Mm. musical but they may have been Right, but they definitely had no way of sort of finding out, or you know, they weren't given the opportunity to find out.
0: Mm. So, just kind of um, uh, off the tangent for a moment, but not really. Mm. How did your mum become a pianist? How did she get into that? How did she develop her love for music?
1: Um, I, from what she's told me, i she was always singing as a child. Um, so I think one of her relatives um, suggested to her parents um, that she start some music. Mm. And from what I understand, my grandparents um, weren't particularly involved in her getting a musical education. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just suggested that she do it and sort of found the cheapest, easiest um, local teacher for her to go to.
0: Mm.
1: Um, but it was when she, you know, I'm not sure it's a little bit different, it was when she left home and went to university at, I don't know, 15 or 16 and she had to to move to another city, I guess, um, you know, a few hours away. Um, she actually ha- uh, lived with a, an older lady who um, she, she refers to her often as her second mother huh. um, and that lady was – almost mortified that he was this, you know, young teenager coming to study music for a life uh-huh. and yet she hadn't been exposed to much music at all. She'd never heard music much other outside of her lessons. Music wasn't played at home. People didn't sing at home. No one else played. And she just couldn't believe that my mother wasn't exposed to all this music and she started My mum literally uses the word force-feeding my mum with culture and and music
0: Mm. nonstop.
1: And this old lady felt it was her duty that, you know, if if this child is living with me and she's come to study music and I've got something to do with it, I'm going to make sure that she listens to Mozart, Beethoven, you know, everything Mm. that needs to be listened to. Um, And mum said that she spent her whole day sort of arriving home and just, the music was on full time. The education was on full time, and that's actually when she really flourished musically. When she left home and was given that opportunity by someone that was just simply not a musician, but in the know, mm. um, that you know you you become musically educated through exposure very much, not yeah. just by, be, by being able to press the right keys on a piano. Mm.
0: There's there's something to that. Yeah, there's something to be said about that because, you know, my musicality has been activated through my own kids watching them play, watching them learn, and then watching concerts. Certainly, watching you in concert, it just keeps almost, yeah, tapping into like another layer. And I, and I just think, um, you know, as you say, going back to this is in all of us and. I wonder what music can give us, you know, and if we, if we just kind of unpack that a little bit, like from your own experience working with so many students, um, working with, you know, professional musicians, um, what 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 does music give us what can it give us what's the potential in it I know it's oh, a big question
1: <laughs> it's, it's, that's 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 how long is a piece of a string type of question <laughs> um, it gives so many things to so many different people in so many different ways mm. um, uh, for some people it just gives them joy um, for some people it gives them emotions and nostalgia mm. um, for some people um, it gives them. Some bigger, you know, more cognitive, um, benefits. Mm. Um, music itself gives one thing and then, you know, the art of learning an instrument is a completely different package of, um, benefits. Um, you know, in, in some cultures, music is a way of communicating. Um, and for some cultures, it's just entertainment. So, um, Music. What music gives is just bottomless, but um, I guess for me as a person through my own experiences and through what I would love to gift my students, for me music has always been um, kind of a a coping and communication sort of mechanism for me. Mm. Uh, It's been my voice and, I mean, music has been there for me in, in a way, I don't even know how to explain this properly, but, um, for example, when I was uh, 11, um, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer mm. and went, went through chemo. And I actually don't remember the breast cancer part so much as the chemo um, sort of journey. Uh, I do remember her sort of lying on the couch post-chemo and being very lethargic and very sick and I really do remember that moment when I kind of looked at her and went, Right, I know how to play violin.
0: Um, mm.
1: If I don't really work my butt off right now and get a scholarship at a good school, um, my whole life can take a completely different course. Mm. And I suddenly knew that my violin was my tool to a better life. And. Um, you know that was kind of like the first yeah. time i woke up to the fact that you know violin could save me and change the course of my life and then um you know you there are other sort of incidents where i don't know um you know i was in u12 and we had to move house and you know there was a bit of a drama i kind of remember the technicalities of it now apart from the fact that we were practically we, my parents had bought one house and hadn't sold another, so they couldn't make the mortgage repayments mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And my immediate reaction was, right, I've got a violin, I've got a tool, um, I'm going to go and busk with my brother and we are going to make the mortgage repayment. Wow. <laughs> um, so for me, um, the violin itself or music itself has always been like a tool to sort of work life out mm. um, and I guess I look at it in the same way that I hope that with my students that if I can give them some sort of tool maybe they can use their violin as that tool for their life but also they can maybe um, not use the violin but use the act of you know like a cognitive effort mm. to get something and to improve something else in their life
0: yeah yeah
1: um, you know, if I can do that through the violin lessons, I feel that that's, that's more of what I'm trying to teach. Actually, um, at the beginning of this year, I don't know um, how long people will be listening to these podcasts for. They might listen to these, you know, seven years later, but mm. um, it's 2020 right now, mm. um, the most amazing year of, the year of ever. Mm. And um, at the beginning of the year, we had those incredible bushfires. Mm. And I was overseas at the time, um, flying back to Australia, and I thought, "Geez, I I just feel like I can't do anything to help." And just before I jumped on the plane, I said to my kids, "But we're going to arrive, have a shower, have a little sleep, and we're going to go busking and we're going to raise money for the for the bushfires, yeah, as our way of sort of feeling like we'd done something." And I happened uh, to post about that on Facebook and I had a few students say, can we join you? Can we just come and busk with you? And we busked and we raised money and we donated that to charity. But actually one of the parents of my students actually messaged me and said, thank you so much. My daughter has been um, crying for two weeks, feeling helpless about the bushfire situation. It's given her a lot of anxiety. But after busking, it's given her a sense that she's actually helped something and she's stopped being so anxious about the situation Mm, and that's when you really know that you're not just teaching um violin but you're giving tools for life Mm,
0: very purposeful tools so it's, mm.
1: it, we've, we've totally done a, you know, a complete, I've t- turned the topic, you asked me what music can do. Oh, no, this is, yeah, this totally is spun it around. incredible, but, um, isn't it though? It, it just, it can go anyway. Mm.
0: Mm. And I, and Victoria, you know, you, you mentioned that um, it certainly helped you along the challenges in your own life. And one of those, one of the challenges that I wanted to um, ask you about, if you can speak to is losing a brother you know mm. and music helped you during that time can you speak can you speak about that a little bit
1: yeah so i was 21 and my brother who's also an incredible musician probably much more so than i, I will ever be um but he um passed away very suddenly with no no warning um at the age of 15 was a sudden adult death. It's mm. um, after a lot of investigation. It's like a, it's an adult version of SIDS that mm. um, apparently mostly occurs in in males. Um, uh, there's always been sort of random stories on sixty minutes where you know someone just falls down and just dies. Right. Or, you know, and um, Henry was at a music camp um, and just didn't wake up from his sleep. Mm. So um, I guess my initial reaction was—I mean, obviously you mourn the loss of a brother, but you know, my immediate reaction was—you know—I've lost everything. I'm I'm going to throw the towel in with music. Mm. Um, That's that. So that crossed your mind, yeah? Yeah, that crossed my mind, um, sort of for a week, Mm. Um, and I think it was just the shock, and I—you know—it was kind of the mentality of you've lost one of the biggest things in your life, so why not just, th- you know, lose everything else while you're at it? Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a, a quite a sort of persistent violin teacher that um, coaxed me back into coming for a lesson uh, with a piece of music that I was desperate to play. And I guess... Um, because the piece of music was so difficult and so time-consuming and I didn't want to let her down, I locked myself in my room for, you know, hours at a, at a time mm. and practised. Um, and I think that was, a, you know, a godsend because I that was my way of healing and that was my way of um, zoning out and tuning out from the rest of the world and all the people that were coming to visit Um, and it was my way of tuning out but it was also, um, I guess, it was my light. I created a tunnel for myself Mm. and that, you know, the performance or um, whatever I was working towards was the light and I sort of always, you know, when I think about that, time in my life I I literally sort of visualize just this long steep tunnel and having to kind of like abs not abseil like pull yourself through a piece of rope Mm. through that tunnel and just always have this vision of like pulling pulling a rope and trying to hike your way up um through this tunnel and that's what life felt like but I I feel like the violin helped me climb much easier and quicker um, than any sort of other help that was offered to me at the time. Mm. Mm. Wow. So I, I really do think, you know, again, you know, that violin was my tool to change the course or, you know, move forward in my life.
0: Mm. Very powerful. I mean, it, it's it's, you know, for you that that, well, big, um, I can understand your gratitude to your teacher at the time um, Mm. because if that invitation wasn't there or that persistence, well then would have been who knows what would have happened, right? But it's interesting what I wanted to say is that during times of loss, any kind of loss – for people, they often turn to music, whether it be melancholic music, whether it be, you know, so, and it goes back to what you were saying early on that music, song, you know, was there long before we started to speak, talk, communicate. And that was the first thing that helped you through, through mm. that difficult time. It's very powerful. And, and so, um, it continues to be there, you know. It's almost like as you speak about it, you know, you you talk about it as a tool because you're ma- you know very matter of fact, um, which which has helped you. And and yet I look at it as this almost this friend who kind of this guide who who beckons you at that time and and who's just there always next to you, you know, and and yeah, has its shoulder around you, um, um, and continues to do that. So I guess my next question is how. What what does it continue to teach, you know, as you continue to practice? Um, and I know that you do so many other things um in your life, you know, one of the things you've shared with me recently is that each year you challenge yourself with something new to help you challenge yourself not just in in music, but also in music, I'm sure because no area of life is separate. Um mm. How else do you challenge yourself? How else do you ensure that you keep growing, that you're always staying, you know, thinking about well, the thing that you said in the beginning, what's next?
1: Mm, I think I think the, the act of challenging myself started with me um I guess you become very comfortable as a teacher, um, and you become very comfortable in giving directions and assuming that everyone will just listen to what you need to say and follow the directions. Mm. And um, I think a lot of times you forget that um, you know not everything is so easy for everyone, and you, and some some people are really struggling to learn the violin or really struggling with music. And um, a few years ago, I I joined a gym, which, uh, you know, was really odd for me because I'm the most unsporty person ever. And I remember on my first or second session, I suddenly, I was struggling through some weights or something. And I suddenly thought to myself, gosh, this is what my students feel like. Mm. You know, I'm being told what to do. I can't do it. And the trainer's just looking at me, sort of going, just do it. And mm. I um, I'm struggling. And I so it was a wake up call for me. Um, mm. because um I knew that I would be capable event capable eventually, but I uh, also it it reminded me what it feels like to be um not the expert at something and not mm. to understand something. And I decided that, you know, that would be something that, you know, if you want to have some sort of personal growth, you do need to challenge yourself with something completely, like, not even comprehensible. Mm. So, um, you know, um, and these challenges can be different things. Uh, I mean, this year it's it's a marathon, I guess, which I still don't quite believe I can do, <laughs> but I'm working on it. Um You know, it's – and, you know, next year might be something else and another year it was um, literally actually starting a business. Business was the challenge of the year. (sighs) I had comfortably for well over 20 years just been teaching on my own Mm. Um, and the waiting list just got too big. And it's just easy to refer people to someone else and I think I I wanted the challenge of feeling responsible for – Something bigger um, mm. in a sense that I, I, I wanted to not just impact, you know, 50 students, but I wanted to impact 300 students or mm. 500 students. And if I wouldn't do that, maybe no one else would. Mm. Uh, so I wanted that um, terrible responsibility. <laughs> um, <laughs> Terrible in that it was so foreign to me and I I still feel three years on that I am still learning the art of running a business um, and running, you know, 20 other teachers. Mm. But I go to bed at night exhausted knowing that, you know, 350 kids are learning music, um, 20 staff are getting paid Mm. um, and... You know, so many other things have changed. I mean, even schools that never had any music really going on at all, um, suddenly have orchestras. It's exciting, isn't it? So I I feel comfortable even though it's a real struggle. Um, I feel comfortable knowing that I have made a little change in little increments. Mm. Um, and you know, next year the challenge might be completely different. Mm. So um, I think each year I try to grow in a way. Sometimes it seems like a logical, like next step mm-hmm. in life, and sometimes it needs to be something completely. Not like me.
0: You know. <laughs> and that's so, uh, you know, and I love that about you and I really respect that about you, that doing something that is left field because that's when we can truly have, well, I think we, when we can really have a beginner's mind and that's what we can learn again and, gosh, that opens up so much in all and of us. And it's so
1: hard to learn something from scratch. It's mm. so, so hard. And I've got to remember that every violin student that walks in the door Mm. is learning something from scratch. Mm. They may not be learning how to hold a violin from scratch, but they might be learning um, a new piece of music from scratch or they might be learning how to think differently
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, from scratch and they're all things that, you know, are completely comfortable with me but completely foreign to someone else. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, Uh, uh, yeah, you know, and and then you can use – You can use those examples and share them with the kids and they know, oh, okay, actually she is. It becomes more relatable for them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, a question that comes to mind then is um, what do you continue to learn about yourself through obviously music but also just life generally? What are the things that, you know, what are the kind of even key messages that are coming out of that?
1: Um. I can't say this enough, but that you you never stop learning. Um, I, I've learnt that you don't stop learning and I've learnt that um, the most unexpected people can teach you the biggest life lessons mm. um, at a time that you least expect it and you need to be willing to to grab whatever you can from anyone else. Um, literally just an hour ago I had a student um, who um, just use a different word to describe something, mm-hmm. and I just went, "Oh my god, that's brilliant!" So I was telling him about mindful practice rather than just you know sawing through a mm-hmm. piece, but actually stopping and thinking. And he went, "Oh, us psychologists, we call that um, cognitive. What did you call it? Uh, cognitive effort." <laughs> and I said, "Oh, cognitive effort, like you know." the 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 idea of you know actually wanting mm. to use your brain to learn something rather than saying just do it you know mm-hmm. um and just the just those words I actually ran into the next room and wrote it down because I thought yeah. it was the the just the pairing of those two words mm. just meant so much for me. Um and or other little things like uh, my son might suddenly changed the order of his practice. Uh-huh. And I'm um, you know I came in and went, "Why are you doing things out of order?" And he said, "I'd like it to feel different each time so that it, some things feel easier and some things feel trickier at different times Wow, and you know from that. a from a five year old you yeah. think, "Well, actually you could well, you could listen to that and go, "Oh no, you do it my way uh-huh. or or you could listen to that and say, "Oh, that's interesting, and walk away, or you could actually really sit with that comment and say wow, this kid wants to mix it up because he wants to feel it in a different way yeah. and should I be telling my students to mix up their practice now because maybe that will change the way they feel about certain things at certain times because it's just in a different order. Mm. I mean, if if you to take it to a different level, I mean, what if you actually sat down at dinner this tonight and ate dessert first and then dinner? I know, right? I mean, it would feel weird (laughs) and it would feel weird and it would feel different and it would be every kid's dream. Yes. You know, we we do things a certain way, but, you know, you might actually really Mm. love dinner tonight because it was done the wrong way around or you might really resent it and and say, no, never doing that again. That makes him feel sick. Mm. But at least you've actually had the bravery to try it. Yeah. And I think we get so set in our ways and I think if you just sit and actually... Think and process what comes out of people's mouths mm. um, at any time. You can be learning so much, mm. Mm. and I think that that's you know that's what I'm constantly learning. Mm. It's to so be true. More, listen better, you know, yeah. and actually analyze better,
0: mm. and to be then receptive to that. To be receptive to someone else's ways or ideas or yeah um I mean that's brilliant you know when he says that when I hear you share Hugo's little um example of that I just think immediately well that's see that's a cognitive stretch (laughs) yeah that's not a psychology term that's my term but it really is yeah it's getting us to change our thinking or your thinking and to really as you said analyze well does it have to be that way it's brilliant um that's always available to us
1: Mm. I think you had a similar sort of incident with <laughs> my daughter, where um, I think she said something, and I, they, I can't even remember what it was. Mm-hmm. And she said, "So, what's your answer?" That's right. And, you know, someone might listen to that and go, "Gosh, don't be rude, don't be yeah. impatient." Yeah. But she was like, "I need to get to the core of this, yes. and I need to know your answer." And uh, I think I love that. you know. That's very much her essence of yeah. the way she is, mm. um, and you know, I've asked you a question. What is your answer? And she's not afraid to say, "Come on, give me your answer." Mm. And I, I want to hear it. Mm. I need to analyze it. I need to process it, and then I need to react accordingly.
0: Mm. I love it. Oh, brilliant! Yeah. So, so you know, speaking of your your kids, Estelle and Hugo, who are just these. Beautiful, full-spirited, like you know, the kids, like full life force present. I'm here. Let's do this. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know how. What's important when it comes to your children? I know that they're fully immersed in music. They're playing music, but given given even what we've spoken about what is it important for you to be able to teach your kids? What do you want them to know?
1: Um, well, again, I'd, I'd want them to know that they are loved and wanted. So I've mm. kind of come full circle. Mm. Um, I want them to be happy with, the, with their their strengths and their quirks. And um, I guess, you know, I want them to just be themselves Mm. I think we spend too much time worrying that, um, and I, I've, I'm completely guilty of this, too much time wanting them to fit a particular sort of norm mm. or fit a, a particular tradition or a history or, a, you know, a way of doing life or a way of speaking. And I guess we feel that, that responsibility as parents, mm. but I also want them to feel comfortable that, you know, they can shake things up a little bit.
0: You know, yeah, it's within so safe
1: safe limits, yeah, yeah, and they should feel that they have the opportunity to do that. And for me, and my style of parenting, um, nothing allows them to do that more than just to. Well, you give them some boundaries, but then you've you've also got to give them the chance to to make their own stuff up. So mm. we're a very screen free yeah. family, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and tell me about I that. Don't. Tell me about the the reason, the choice, or is it just that it's not even part of your, you know, your lifestyle? Um,
1: you know what? Um, they used to be on their screens when mm-hmm. they were younger mm-hmm. and I felt that they were a little bit sort of zonked out mm-hmm. and yeah. um, needy. So I, we went cold turkey with them uh, and it didn't even take very long for things to change Mm. um but I guess for me I feel like the whole screen thing tells them what they should be thinking it tells them what they should be enjoying um it tells them how they should be feeling um and you know there's been research that you know being on a screen gives you a certain hit of whatever feel-good hormones dopamine and all that Um, stuff yep yeah And I wanted them to discover other ways to get that dopamine. Mm. Um, And, I, I, you know, it's it's as simple as they've got all of their adult lives to be stuck in front of their phone or their computer. Mm. Um, I'm stuck in front of my computer or my phone when I need to be. And they've got all their adult lives to do that. So why extend that? Why make that even more than it needs to be? Yeah. I'm not writing it off. I'm not asking them to live in a cave or technology-free in their teenage years. But you know, the longer you can give them that time without it, they'll know that they—that's not the only way that they can be happy, and that's not the only way that they can communicate. Mm.
0: So important. But you know, it? I have
1: to say, you know, it's, it's a bit of a um, bit of hypocrisy because I got my first email from my daughter last week and it just said hi mum how are you I miss you (laughs) and I have to say that I was in two minds I was Uh, like I am so appreciative for this email I'm so proud and then part of me went oh my gosh what is she doing on a computer (laughs) so I actually jumped on and responded in the only way that I I knew knew, and and my response was I love you so much too I miss you so much to get off the computer (laughs) That was my email. Brilliant. Oh, I love your commitment, your conscious commitment to off screen.
0: Yeah, especially at such an early age. That's brilliant. Um, thank you, Victoria. I think this is a really um, natural kind of place to leave it at. You know, we've talked about so many different things. Um, um, yeah, I appreciate your time and it's certainly opened up a lot of um, things for me, especially when it comes to music. Um, music is continues and will continue to open up so much of who I am. Um, I guess for me it's one pathway. There's so many other ones that I'm engaged in and I love seeing that you're doing the same thing and I mean not just music but how you continue to grow in different ways. Um, thank you so much. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks for joining me today on Empowered Conversations. Subscribe to the show now and then head over to my Facebook page, Susie Petrosi, for free personal growth and self-discovery tools that you can use today to be present, be powerful, and be on purpose. See you next time for Empowered Conversations.